don't come home. What? I don't care what you do. I just don't want you here. Betty. Don? I don't want to see you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of A Thing Like That, a podcast about Mad Men. As always, I'm your host, Mike Levito. And I'm Kathleen Levito. And we're here to talk to, uh, on this Easter Sunday about another episode of Mad Men. Um, happy Easter, everybody. <laughs> I want to start singing again, but I'm not going to. <laughs> That's okay. Kathleen was singing a song that they used to sing a lot in church. That Father Gill might know. It's relevant. Yes, it's very relevant. Um, there was, there's that episode Three Sundays that we already did that when the scenes is on Easter, the, the For the Little One one. Um, but uh, we're, we're ahead of the curve, so, so we're not on that now. Uh, what we are going to talk about instead, though, is Season 2, Episode 8, A Night to Remember. Kathleen, what are your first thoughts of this episode? Um, Everyone's kind of a brat in this episode, I feel. <laughs> like, TBH... Um, I find that they're, like, really poor with communication in this show. Mm-hmm. Um, no, but really, it's, it's, um, I'm trying to think of, like, all the different aspects of this. Not a huge fan of, like, the Peggy storyline in this one. Um, mostly because I don't like Father Gill. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if I can say that in Easter, but, um... But yeah, otherwise I just feel like it's a, it's a lots of brats on this show. But that make, that makes for good television, you know. That's um, true. That is. True. I, I I think this is one of my favorite episodes of season two. Um, and like I definitely liked it more the more I kind of thought about it and and sort of like wrote up what we're gonna talk about and um, it's it's good the the, the post Barrett stuff I like because it doesn't involve the Barretts who are annoying. Yes, that's true. Um. But uh, let's let's get into what did happen in this episode, which was once again called A Night to Remember. It was directed by Leslie Linka Glatter, written by Robin Veith and Matthew Weiner. <clears throat> so we begin with these opening shots of Betty riding a horse very hard, and she comes home to find Don still in bed on Saturday morning. Um, she asks him to fix a plug in the kitchen, do some chores around the house to prepare for um, some guests that they're going to have later on in the week. And he tries to be flirty about it, but she's very resistant to his charms and not having any of it. We see Peggy visit her sister Anita to drop off some stuff for Jerry and Anita's kids. Uh, Father Gill shows up impromptu, and Anita leaves and Peg- leaves he and Peggy alone. Father Gill basically asks Peggy about her relationship with the church, and notice she doesn't sort of get involved very much, and she denies that she's uncomfortable going. And he tells her that there are other ways to get involved than just going to church, and ask her if she'd like to develop an advertisement for an upcoming CYO dance to pro bono project. The next day at Sterling Cooper, Duck tells Harry and... Duck tells Harry that Maytag is upset because their ad for a product called The Amazing Agitator aired after a scene in the ABC Sunday Night movie in which a Russian spy is referred to repeatedly as The Agitator. Harry panics a little and talks to the boys about it and mentions that he needs someone to read the scripts for him to avoid future mistakes. Duck, Pete, and Don discuss Heineken, and Don thinks suburban housewives are an untapped uh, market for them. And he, he says basically that, you know, it's from Holland, there's a foreign appeal, it's perfect for entertaining. He proposes they conduct an experiment where they sort of set up Heineken displays in supermarkets up and down the Hudson River in New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut, away from the other beers and alongside, like, cheese and crackers to make it look like, like you know, perfect domestic entertaining beer. Um, Pete and Duck agree. And Pete says, housewives loves green. And they get up to leave, but not before Duck mentions that he may not be able to make dinner at the Draper's. Don indicates that Roger wants him there so he can talk with Crab Colson 
uh, Rogers <clears throat> and Cohen, excuse me, I'm about to lose my voice. Um, and then Pete seems disappointed that he's not being invited in actually a very funny scene. Um, <clears throat> excuse me again. Meanwhile, back in Austin, Betty's preparing the dining room for her guests and notices one of the chairs is wobbly. She tries to fix it, but in a fit of rage, ends up smashing it against the floor repeatedly as her children watch from the TV room kind of freaked out. Back at Sterling Cooper, Roger initially tells Harry that he'll have to read all the scripts by himself, but then assigns Joan on a temporary basis to help Harry out, which Joan actually seems to be pretty excited about. Peggy gets a call from Father Gill about the flyer for the CIO dance. He says the committee has some objections. Peggy tries to get Father Gill to deal with it, but he insists that she talk to the committee instead. That Sunday night at the Draper residence, the Drapers, Sterlings, and Colsings, and Duck, whose date allegedly had to cancel, gather for their weird little dinner party. After drinking a bunch, they gather around the dinner table where Betty announces the international theme of the dinner, which includes, quote, beer from Holland, namely Heineken. Huh. Duck's all like, you sly son of a bitch. Did you set this up to Don? And they talk about Don's experiment and how he knows his wife so well, you know, even if he didn't tell her to actually buy the beer herself. Like, clearly it's working because, you know, his own wife did it, right? Um, <clears throat> and Betty's kind of offended and taken aback and doesn't really know what to do with this. and But she just kind of, uh, you know, rolls with it. Peggy tries to pitch the CIO flyer to the committee. Um, she says it promises the kind of handholding that leads to marriage, but they're not into it. And after they leave, Peggy complains that Father Gill should have had her back more, and he kind of apologizes to her for not having to for having to do more work. Joan is at her apartment reading scripts when her fiance Greg walks in with Chinese food. She talks about how much she's enjoying the scripts, but Greg is like, you know, you shouldn't be working. You should be, you, know, you should have a guy who's giving you all the things you want. You should be watching these shows instead of reading them. He's clearly not catching on about what she's enjoying about the whole process, and he's kind of looking to set up a more traditional uh, setup in their home. After Betty's guests leaves, she confronts Don about being quote humiliated at the party, and then accuses him of having an affair with Bobby Barrett. Don stridently denies everything, um, and then uh, they end up kind of going to sleep. Don goes to sleep first, but he finds him in bed instead of staying in bed with him, goes to sleep in Sally's bed instead. The next morning, Don comes down to find Betty still in her dress from the night before, which kicks off this whole day for Betty, where she initially just kind of sits in bed smoking and drinking wine, and she rifles through Don's closet, trying to find evidence of an affair. Then she goes through his desk trying to find evidence of an affair, but all she finds are napkins with ad ideas written down. At Sterling Cooper, Duck, Don, and Pete have a meeting with Heineken in which they say their experiment is successful, and Duck interjects and tells the story about Betty, even suggests publishing her menu verbatim in women's magazines. Heineken is impressed and asks them to start rolling out a campaign. Harry and Joan meet with clients, and Joan displays a real talent for figuring out which shows will be must-watch and which shows they should buy ad time on. Clients are very pleased. Roderick calls Harry into his office to congratulate him on a good job, and Harry's like, well, Joan was a big help, but Roger's like, yeah, let's hire a full-time guy instead. Don comes home to find Betty still in her dress, on the bed. They argue some more. Don denies some more. And Betty's all like, I don't want to be like this. But she's clearly resistant to Don's touch and, ad and advances and kind of makes him sleep on the couch. It's a whole big thing. Uh, the next day about, Harry is chatting with his new hire, Dan Lindstrom, when jo Joan walks in. Harry tells Joan that Dan's the new head of broadcast operations and will be taking over Joan's script reading duties, much to Joan's shock and disappointment, which he tries to hide well. Peggy brings Father Gill into the office so he can make copies of the flyers. While in her office, she, which is also the copy room, of course, um, he asks her if there's anything she needs to talk about, noting that she doesn't take communion at church. He says God already knows whatever it is she did and that she can tell him anything and asks if you know she feels like she's undeserving of God's love. She's very clearly uncomfortable and shows him out. At home, a calmer Betty is cooking and then sits down with the kids to watch TV. But then Jimmy Barrett's Utz commercial comes on, which disturbs her. 
And then she uh, kind of just staring somewhat in shock. She calls Don and tells him not to come home. And then to close out the episode, we get a succession of shots of people coming home from Joan undressing and finding a welt from her bra, Peggy sitting kind of blankly in the tub, and Father Gill singing down by the riverside playing guitar. Don walks into a kitchen and pulls out a Heineken from the fridge, which turns out to be the Sterling Cooper kitchen. He sits down at the table, and the camera begins to pull out. That's 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 how it ends. Kathleen, what did we pick for a theme for this episode? We picked what women want. Why? Because um, it's a lot of characters, male characters, assuming what their wives or their future, either wives or female counterparts, like want and what their goal is, and then it's a lot of women kind of um, going against that and actually desiring something else. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of you know. In, in some ways, there's some similarities to like the Marilyn and Jackie episode, where it's like men are just kind of assuming, where it's like, oh, you know, women want to look like this because men want them to look like this, and that leads to like this whole big thing of assumptions. But yeah, it's it's a lot of um, you know, sort of yeah, a lot of assumptions being made about what women want, and then them clearly being uncomfortable or even offended when they don't get what they want. Um, this idea that then this sort of known order of things was working out for men so they don't really notice it whereas women once they get sort of like a glimmer of more opportunity or something like that and then it gets shut in their face they, they kind of get disappointed mm-hmm. um do you have any specific examples of this i mean i think a big one is looking at joan mm-hmm. um, especially because joan thus far seems like a pretty like i don't want to say like powerful woman especially in the office place and like she's made it very clear that she has like climbed the ladder done all the right things but like, she already seems to have, like, a decent amount of power. Like, she is essentially the office manager. She is the boss of all of the, like, secretaries and stuff that work there. But once she gets a glimpse of that, like, script reading portion, that, like, working with the te- like the television department, and sees that there are, like, other opportunities for out there for her, like, she's so enthralled by it, and she's so mm-hmm. excited by it, and she's clearly very, very good at it. Mm-hmm. Um but she's not allowed to like really fully grasp that opportunity. Exactly. Yeah. And there, and part yeah, there, there's an assumption that, you know, Oh, this is sort of like a chore for her. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a burden, but she's like clearly very much enjoying herself. Like I think of, I think the scene that kind of illustrates it the best is when Greg comes home and she's reading the scripts and, you know, he has this whole thing where he's like, oh, you know, you should be watching these shows like, you know, with a box of bonbons on your lap to satisfy your cravings in some house in Glen Cove or whatever. Um, but she's clearly she's she's like, no, it's a hoot. Like, she's really enjoying herself. Um, and but you can also kind of see Greg's annoyance where he's like he comes in. He's like, you didn't set the table. And he asks her to like to get a glass of water and she doesn't get up and get it. And he asks her again. Like, there's a lot of like kind of like uh, this idea that like not only are people just blind to, to what Joan wants, but that her wanting, um, her desire is going to conflict with like the way they think things should be run. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and then that's kind of like, you know, what, what makes the, uh, Harry hiring Dan so kind of, uh, heartbreaking in a way because Joan's also like really good at it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, when they're in the meeting with these clients from like an unnamed company, basically, and they uh, Harry's like, oh, you know, we should put it on the show Love of Life because like women really like to fantasize about what their lives could have been in other places. And this is a show that gives that to them. And Joan's like, no, you shouldn't do that. You should put it on As the World Turns instead, because 
or is all my children one of those two um instead because like as the world turns because like it's gonna be like a must-watch episode like and she like knows she's like this is like a special summer storyline like she knows actually what's going on she knows how the industry is working um she's like i can tell you people are gonna like want to watch this and this is where you should put it and then harry's like yeah it's a good idea because it's a competitive time slot but it will get more competitive and you can get a cheap price you know she's like it's a talent of hers um and it's very much ignored because they figure like oh a woman doesn't want this job and joan you know she's already head of the secretaries what more does she really want what more can she really do let's hire the stand guy instead um so the phrase what what do women want literally appears in this episode um when betty is sort of like going through don's desk trying to find evidence of his affair um she finds like sort of all these cocktail napkins and things with like slogan ideas written on them one is what do women want a an excuse to get closer um and there's kind of like a, a irony in that scene where it's like what what i think what what i got from this episode at least that what betty wants is to get closer to don and i think that's what she's wanted for the entire show so far right um and i think maybe she did feel like she was close to him on some level even though we as the viewer know she isn't because she doesn't know that he's not actually don draper and there's a little she doesn't know that he's carrying on with all these other women right she doesn't know a lot about him and so she wants that kind of intimacy and kind of a partnership, really. And Don just kind of denies her really out of neglect more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, he he really just doesn't seem to care or notice that she has kind of like wants or needs besides having children and living in like a big house. Um, and that's, you know, she's not comfortable being kind of like a prop in his life. That's what kind of like ruffles her so much that she feels like a prop during the whole Heineken bit. Um, and... You know, she feels humiliated and, you know, she she the other irony is that she's actually very perceptive about Don. Like she is actually correct that he is having an affair. And she says things like, you know, you just can't you just can't uh, you just can't help yourself and things like that, which we know to be true. Don might be in denial that they're true or not. He might secretly know they're true, but they are true. Um, she's like, you never say you love me. He's like, of course I do. She's like, no, you don't. Right. She's very perceptive about what he wants or you know what he wants, but like what he does, whereas He's not very perceptive, even though he is correct that women will end up buying the Heineken. At least he seems to be correct. Um, and, you know, Duck is like, oh, you know, what's important for her is that she's the perfect hostess and the perfect wife. That's kind of, you know, the assumption that that Don makes about Betty's desires when, in fact, you know, I think she does want those things in a way. But she also wants to actually feel close to her husband and, and have like a fulfilling marriage, which I don't think Don thinks is possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think especially because Don is such a secretive person by nature because he literally stole someone's identity mm-hmm. like why would he be someone to, like there's no reason for him to get close to someone you know yeah. um so naturally it's it's like what he is going to see in a relationship is is the front of it it's like does everything look fine okay then cool it's a fine healthy relationship or it's a relationship that's going to satisfy i guess yeah i mean like sort of like obvious for his like roles and admins that he's very concerned with like what things look like on the surface and he's he knows how to like work with that given his double life he's like as long as everything looks okay it is okay or at least people will think it's okay and you'll be fine yes so yeah i think sort of like the last and kind of the trilogy of i guess misunderstood woman in this episode is of course peggy and father gill Father Gill assumes that Peggy wants to become more involved with the church and wants kind of a connection to the community. He has this whole spiel about how communion is not about communion of God, but also just a communion of people. Uh, when in reality, she just kind of seems like she wants to be left alone. Um, she de- she designs the flyers because she's asked to and kind of like belayed a little bit into it by Father Gill. Um, 
But the thing is, she also displays an auto for what people want. She knows what the girls are going to want to see in a flyer, or at least to the extent that she's able to depict what they want in a flyer for like a church dance. Um, and to that extent, she also kind of knows what the old church ladies want as well. You know, the girls want romance and dancing. And she says the kind of hand holding that leads to marriage, which I think is what she also assumes the old ladies want. It's like, oh, you know, these this is going to be like a very chaste affair and all of that. And it makes sense, right? Because she's closer age wise to the girls who would be going to the dance than the old ladies are. But they assume that they know better. Um, and, you know, even Peggy's whole thing theory, basically, where it's like, well, you know, it might look like it's just for girls, but the boys will go once they find out the girls are going. And the lawyer's like, no, that's not going to happen because they, they don't go to school together. And she's like, well, they go to church together. So she clearly, like, knows stuff that these people think she doesn't know. Um, and, yeah, it's just like a whole thing where it doesn't really seem like she wants to be involved with this group of people at all. But no. <laughs> she's very much pushed into being it. And she's doing her best to make herself valuable to them, even though she it's like pro bono work, right? She really has no reason to, but... She's trying real hard and she knows her stuff, but uh, it's getting, like I said, ignored and, and sort of pushed to the side. Yeah. It's like, honestly, like, Father Gill, like, <laughs> I like how he approaches this under, like, it'll help you become more in touch with the church. Really, he's just getting a free service out of her. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, so yeah, I was reading, you know, the Matt Zoller Sites book as I do every, before every episode and like the other sort of like sub theme, or maybe this is even like the Uber theme and maybe what women want more of the sub theme, but it's like exploitation where it's like Peggy is exploited by Father Gil because he gets a free advertisement. Mm-hmm. Um, Joan gets exploited by Harry because he gets, the, she gets, the, he gets the script read. She doesn't really get anything in return. And Betty's exploited by Don because he's just kind of used as a prop for his different marketing experiments and just for appearances. Yeah. There's also just like a lot of uh, different sort of like little juicy quotes that really help fill out this theme. You know, when when Duck is like, oh, I don't know if I'll be able to make it to, to your place for dinner tonight. Don says, oh, I'm sure my wife would rather go see a movie instead. Which I don't know if that is actually really true. I think that's for actually Don speaking for himself more. Um, you know, when Duck comes without a date, he says, oh, you know, my my wife hated odd numbers, assuming that you know, Betty would be unhappy. But even then, Betty's like, oh, I probably could have, like, you know, if I knew your date canceled, I could probably, like, replace her with somebody. Which is maybe even saying, like, even though Duck is kind of considered, like, the odd man out of Sterling Cooper and not fully embraced, like, maybe there's something Betty finds appealing about him. And mm-hmm. maybe that woman find appealing about him, too. Who knows? Um, and then Father Gill's talking about the old church ladies. Like, they just want to feel involved. They just want to feel like they're contributing something to the CIO dance, even though they don't really know what people want. Um, there's a... Harry's watching an ad for fresh deodorant and, you know, the tagline is like fresh doesn't promise eternal romance, which, you know, kind of assumes that's what women want. So this, you know, assuming, trying to assume and locate what people want is an inescapable part of advertising. And the irony, of course, in this era is that you have a lot of men trying to figure out what women want. Um, and they really have no idea is basically this, the conclusion of this episode. Yeah. Anything else on this theme? Uh, no, I think it's a good, good chunk of it. Cool. Let's move on to our awards then. Uh, start things off with Keith Pam, Keith Pamble, Pete Campbell Memorial Worst of the Week. Uh, I'm giving it to. Or sorry, I just cut you off. I was just like so ready. No, no, I was gonna ask you what you were gonna say. Ready to rumble. I'm giving it to Father Gill. That that's fair. State your case. I just like he's such a sleaze. 
like I don't think he actually cares about Betty. I think he cares about being right. I think he cares about I wouldn't even say like he cares about having another person join the church. I think he just cares about being right and being perceptive. Um, that's yeah it's a thing i've always i kind of struggled with with the whole father gill thing is like i don't really know what he wants or what he's trying to get out of this whole thing it's never really seemed super clear to me yeah and i concur with that it's just like it's weird he just is kind of there for like he's almost he's just kind of there to keep on agitating the like baby issue it's just kind of like to keep it in the front of your mind Mm -hmm. um otherwise there's like not a huge thing with him mm-hmm. um but it just feels like i don't know he's so adored and you then he like finds this parishioner who doesn't adore him in the same way and doesn't like adore his like job in the same way and stuff it just feels like he's like out for the attention that's true yeah because he's like very it's implied he's like very popular with the women and stuff and people always want to talk to him um like as, as the church ladies are leaving um, he's like, oh, like Peggy and I, we should talk. And then the one lady's like, oh, I wanted to talk to you too, Father. And he's like, we'll just talk next week. Um, yeah, there's definitely like sort of a tension thing going on there too. Um, I had, I actually had Don because he, uh, you know, he does kind of use Betty as a prop and he's not very like, I was thinking like if you contrast the way Don handles Betty being upset in this episode with the way Betty with the way like Sal handles Kitty getting upset in the last episode, it's like night and day, mm-hmm, which is yeah. like kind of ironic considering Sal is just kind of like you know Sal is in like a a sham of a marriage because he's trying to not appear gay, whereas Don's like ostensibly in like an actual marriage, but he just like completely ignores Betty's complaints about what happened and. uh you know, he, he's denying a bunch of things he actually did, which is not always great. Yeah. yeah. I know. But we know Zon sucks. I just hate Father Gill so much, and we only have, like, one season to, like, really hate on him, so... That's true. That's true. I, no, it's, that's a good pick. I think I always, like, sort of, like, blinker myself and end up picking, like, a main character, but but Father Gill's a good one to, to go with. Um do you have a pick for Roger Sterling best quote of the week? Um, I do not. So I, th- this is one, it's more of like an, inter- I think this is actually a very funny episode. Um, there's just like a lot of really funny parts. Um, but uh, the, the one I have in particular is when Joan comes in to talk to Harry and then like uh, Harry's office mate Warren walks in and sees Joan and is kind of like flustered at seeing Joan and then after Harry and Joan talk, Joan leaves. And then Warren goes, why can't I do that? And Harry goes, because you already have a job. And Warren goes, no, I mean, talk to her like that. She's so much woman. <laughs> Which is just a funny exchange. Um, move on to foreshadowing. Yeah. Uh, any any foreshadowing off the top of your head? Um, I mean the tensions between Joan and her fiance. Yeah, yeah, sure. absolutely. Greg is Greg. I think will win many worst of the weeks later on. Yeah, for uh, sure. 
and his his sort of like clearly being armed that she has isn't at the table ready for dinner is the first sign that something is off. There's also the talk about Greg's like, oh, you know, I just need to like finish up with my training. Greg will not finish up with his training, actually. He'll turn out to be a very bad doctor <laughs> and will have to enlist in the military to actually become a doctor, which is not to impugn the good name of army medics, but it's like he goes as a last resort to Vietnam. Uh, there, there's this, uh, other, other, like this, this sort of like more subtle thing I picked up where Betty says that Don will do anything to win an argument or no, it's okay. Don, I think Duck says it actually when, um, when, when he, he, he assumes that Don sort of like made Betty by the Heineken. Um, it reminds me of like later on, like this is like season like five or six when they try to get like the snowball account. And um, Michael Ginsburg writes the ad where it's like, get hit with a snowball. And they're like hitting people with snowballs, whereas like Don has the one where it's like a devil like eating a snowball. And they, they're they going to like pitch both of them to snowball and see which one they like. But Don decides not to pitch Michael's and only pitches his. So that's the one they go with. Like that sort of like underhandedness and this like desire for like kind of like Father Girl, like for Don to be right and come out on top, I think is foreshadowed a bit here as well. Yeah. Um, this is also, I think, kind of like the first pitch we really see Peggy do, and she'll have some memorable ones in, in, in future episodes. Her first pitch, of course, being at, at the church to the old church ladies. Um, this begins Betty's sort of like attempts to get open that pesky little unopenable drawer, unopenable drawer mm. in Don's desk, which eventually she will open and find pictures of him with Adam and realize that he's not, in fact, Don Draper. Um Betty says she is not feeling well in one scene, which I, this is kind of a stretch, but foreshadows that she will eventually die of cancer, I guess. She uh, feels she doesn't feel well in like everything. That's though. true. I, that's the theme from the series. She's never happy or feeling well in pretty much this entire show. It's just like, is it really that easy to get out of social obligations? Just be like, oh, I'm coming down with a headache. <laughs> like, I, <laughs> I guess it was in the 60s. Yeah, geez. They had it so easy. Yeah. The other big one, too, is in the last season, Joan will try. Joan does actually launch a production company, mm-hmm. which is kind of foreshadowed by her interest in television and commercial advertising or TV advertisements. <laughs> Something just break behind you um, in the kitchen. Nice. Any any other foreshadowing? Um, not that I can think of. All right. Um, any final thoughts for this episode? Um, I mean, this is like when we get to see like Betty start coming into her own. Both Betty, Peggy and Peggy, I think. Yeah, I think to, like mm-hmm. Peggy come to her own. Betty, I think, unravel a little bit. Yeah, I mean, um, it's, yeah. The one thing I will say is like I know like January Jones gets a lot of crap for like maybe not being like the best actress in the world. I actually think she's like pretty good in this episode. Yes, I and she does. That. She does like depressed and like bummed out Betty well, which is why she's bad at every other Betty because she always <laughs> looks depressed and bummed out. I guess so. Her like uh, Instagram has been like the talk of Twitter during like the whole isolation thing. Um, she's just been posting like really weird stuff Good of her it. just like being like clearly drunk and like talking about like post Malone and stuff and like wearing weird masks and stuff. Um. Yeah, I also, just like I said earlier, like, I just think this is, like, a very funny episode, too. Like, I mentioned, I figured for the, my quote of the week, that one from Warren, 
But there's one scene where, like, Roger walks into the office to talk about, like, the whole script thing. And, like, he and Harry are talking. And, like, Warren's clearly trying to eavesdrop. And Harry turns to him. He's like, Warren, do you mind? And Warren looks away. And then after Roger leaves, Warren opens up his desk and pulls out, like, a half-eaten banana. And starts <laughs> eating it again. Um, which just always makes me laugh. Um, I think the old church ladies are actually kind of funny. Just like their accents are very funny. Um, there's uh, when when Duck says the thing about like not being able to show up to the Drapers. Like he leaves and then P just kind of like sulks and stares at Don. And then Don just kind of like throws his arms up in the air like, hey, what do you want me to do? This was Roger's <laughs> idea. Um, things like that. Yeah. Anything else? I got nothing. All right. Well, this has been another episode of A Thing Like That. Thank you so much for listening. Um, You can follow us on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Podcasts. Uh, You can find our writing on thepostrider.com. You can find me, Michael Levito, on Twitter at at Amlevito and Litterbox at Ameramike. And you can find me on Instagram at Rise to the Sun and Parody of a Queen. Uh, you can find our other podcasts on those other great podcasting platforms, of course, the Real Life Oscar Challenge and Running Mates. And that's all we got. I, I did that. I did the sign off kind of backwards. That's okay. It's good that's, to switch it up. It's it's Easter. It's the holiday. It's time to get nuts. <laughs> um, no rules in quarantine Easter. Yes. Uh, but yeah, thanks so much for listening, everybody. All right. Bye. Bye.